on this episode of Business Interrupted. Never forget the people aspect of our leadership. It should be obvious that we lead people, but too often we get so caught up in the process, the policy, and the procedure that we lose the focus on the people. The people execute the plans that we design. The people get us the information that we need to make good decisions. So don't forget about that element of it as we make our plans and we design our policies and our procedures. Take the time you need to take to listen to your people. You may learn something along the way. Business as usual is challenged every day. It's not about if disruption occurs, it's when. On this original show from Castellan Solutions, we're learning from the world's best leaders, so you can be ready for whatever comes next. I'm your host, Cheyenne Marling. How do you restore business operations and move forward in the midst of the worst possible tragedy? Matthew Horace spent more than two decades as a federal agent before transitioning to the private sector. Over the course of his career, he helped navigate three of the biggest tragedies imaginable the Oklahoma City bombing, Hurricane Katrina, and Hurricane Sandy. In the midst of intense crises, Matthew learned, while it's easy to become tactically and transactionally focused, the key element in any critical event is the people helping you move the business forward. In this episode, Matthew joins me to discuss the leadership principles he learned throughout his career and breaks down why empowering and taking care of your people is the most important part of business resilience and critical event management. But before we begin, let's hear Matthew's thoughts on facing the effects of Hurricane Sandy just two weeks into new role, and why his leader's confidence in him was so important in the midst of extreme circumstances. Well, it was very challenging, but you know, my CEO at the time had a lot of confidence in my abilities and my vision for what the corporate security program would involve. And I remember him during the storm saying, you know, when's going to be our first conference call so that we can have full accountability for our staff, our leaders, and our people. I remember that day saying, okay, we're going to do a call every hour on the hour for the next 10 hours. We're going to decide who's, when, where, and what. How do we get people back into work at some point? But I'll never forget this. One of my colleagues actually was on one of these conference calls and his house was actually filling with water while he was on the call. And you talk about impact, right? I'm in a hotel at that moment. And at that moment in time, I realized that this was something a lot greater than what any of us had had anticipated. But as an inspirational aside, that same colleague who lost everything was back in the office the next day offering to help because we had critical work that had to be done and had to be fulfilled. So again, it boils down to that, those key elements of how do we restore our basic business functions and what functions do we need to see that the business moves forward and that we don't move backwards? So that was a really learning experience for me. I had the full confidence of my CEO and business ownership, and, and we had a great team to work with and people were committed. So thinking about those three incidents, when you focus on how you elevated your career and how you grew with each instance What are some of the soft skills that you felt that you really tapped into and really elevated through the process? Well, I think it's important to maintain empathy and compassion for your people because even during the worst of the worst circumstances, we get into this tactical mindset and it it almost becomes transactional. What are the list of things that we need to accomplish between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m.? But at the end of the day, our people are the ones that are responsible. 
to accomplish those tasks. So we have to make sure that in our communications, the way we're dealing with people, the way we're giving out commands and receiving information, that we're mindful that we're all in this together. And the chaos and the tragedy and the destruction that I see, my employees see, and in many cases is impacting them and their lives, just like it's impacting me in my life. So there's always good to take that break and reset and make sure that our people are doing well so we don't have tragedies personally, just like all the destruction and chaos that we see around them. Leave the lines of communication open and don't make things so hardcore and black and white that people have to be, have to do, have to accomplish because their lives are being impacted just like the people who are all around us. So for me, it's always been not to treat employees as transactional pieces of my execution, but treat employees like people. Make sure that they understand that we're focused on them, just like we're, we're focused on everyone else. I'm assuming that a big piece of your event management, like you said, is the empathy and what have you. So working with human resources to make sure that that is in place as well from an empathy standpoint. You learn after a while that when you're at the critical incident management table, it doesn't just take global security or security or policing or fire. It really takes a, a cross-disciplinary team. And many of the other professional functions are equally as necessary, if not more necessary. It takes finance and accounting to make sure that you have the financial resources to manage a crisis. It takes HR to ensure that you're accounting for people. And HR has the lists and the roles of the people who you're trusted to be accountable for. It takes logistics. It takes strategy. It takes the COO. It takes the CFO. It takes IT. As you know, in many cases, during the worst events, IT systems are the first to go. So how do we communicate if you don't have email? How do you communicate if you don't have electricity? How do you get your resources? Where are your vehicles? There's just a static list of things. And most of us have checklists to deal with these things, but they require the people with the expertise to be able to come together to galvanize and coalesce around this tragedy or this incident, bring the expertise to bear, leave egos at the door, find out what needs to be accomplished and work together to accomplish those goals. So going from the public sector into private sector, there's always been this kind of thought process that making that transition is is a challenge, right? And some people, I think, are really, really good at navigating that. And it's a different kind of mindset to some degree. But how did you feel about making that transition from the public to the private sector? I spend a lot of time now mentoring to people who are in the public sector now looking to transition. And thank God I had some really good mentors and I had developed what I call my board of directors around me when I was looking to transition. And these were people that had already transitioned into private sector roles so that they could help me navigate what it was I didn't know. Because at the end of the day, we all don't know what we don't know. The priorities are very different in public sector than they are in private sector. And in many cases, I think the difficulty in making the transition is coming to the realization that someone else's priority has to be your priority. In government, we're given very, very narrow lanes to run and walk and execute in. In private industry, those lanes can be expanded. And if your CAO, if your CEO or COO thinks something is important to him or her, then it has to be important to you. And many, many of the folks I know that have made that transition said that the watershed moment was when they asked their CEO why I have to do X, Y, and Z. And they said, because I said so, and it's important to the business. Businesses thrive on profit, right? It's not like government. And profit matters in business. Therefore, business matters to business. Therefore, business has to matter to you. 
as the security or the emergency management leader. And the first thing most CEOs or COOs are going to say is when can we restore normal operations? Even under the darkest of days, it, it sounds cruel sometimes, but that's going to be their focus, your people and your operations. So how long have you been serving as a mentor to some of these individuals in the public sector? Well, I, th- I think I've been a mentor to others probably for the better part of the last 30 years. And, and I think I've been a mentor to others because others have been mentors to me. And I've learned throughout my career, both in public and private sector, that none of us can do it alone. And there's someone out there that has that experience or that missing key or that gap that we're looking for. I really got motivated, though, after making the transition. Once I realized that there was a different mindset between those who had made the transition successfully and those that had made the transition unsuccessfully. And in many cases, you learn through executive coaching and others that the people that are not cutting it and making that transition are just not in the proper mindset to understand that the demands of business are different than the demands of government. And most of us that learn that our first day on the job in private business, you carry that with you and you you learn to pivot, you learn to be agile, and you learn, again, to make other people's priorities your priorities. And and, and at the end of the day, once you're into a major organization, no one's going to care very much about what you did seven years ago when you were on a search warrant, an arrest warrant, uh, looking for a bad guy or managing some emergency management issue. The issue is today, what are you bringing to the table? How are you going to add value to my business? And how are you going to help move us out of this place we're in right now to a successful outcome? Outcomes are big in business, as you very well know. So looking back through your career, what's your number one piece of advice that you would have given yourself back in the day or someone who's looking to come into this profession? I think for anyone looking to transition from government to private industry, I would offer this, learn the business of whatever it takes to execute your job. Many people get caught up, as I did and others did for far too long, with the tactical execution. I investigate. I protect. I do this. I do that. Understand what the business elements are of doing what you do, because at, at the end of the day, if you're gonna, if you're gonna make that transition, you need to understand not only the business principles of HR, IT, human capital, people movement. You need to understand talent acquisition and all those different things, but you also need to understand different terms like benchmarking and downstream and upstream and outcomes and goals. And, and I think for a lot of us, at least in the SES program and government, the senior executive service program, You learn some of that as a part of your development of your ECQs. But for many people, if you're never able to make that shift from a three-letter or four-letter organization into a $500 million business, then you may not have had access to what the business demands. And business is very different. And in times of crisis, restoring your business to normal operations is the most important thing that you can do given your role. So Matt, tell us a little bit more about Hurricane Katrina as far as the process of events that you work through for that specific event. For me, it was really a watershed moment because a a leader and a manager who I respected had a lot of confidence when he asked me to be the critical incident manager. And I remember him one day giving me a list of things to do. And the very next day in a briefing, he asked me if it had been done and it hadn't been done. And I looked at him and he looked at me. And I knew that was the last time that I can give him an it hadn't been done answered. He knew that I knew that it was the last time. 
So it becomes an element of empowering your people, making sure you delegate those responsibilities out, making sure you don't get too enamored with your position and the criticality of the moment, because in many cases, this will be an opportunity that will catapult you from where you are to where you're going. But if you're thinking about where you're going and not about what you're doing, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to make the same kind of mistakes I did by being too focused on what's going to happen over the course of the next day. Develop that cadence of how you get things accomplished in the midst of the worst imaginable tragedy. And when you think about Katrina and just look at it from the government lens, if you look at the different three and four letter agencies who all had resources in New Orleans and the entire Gulf for that matter, and then just multiply that exponentially to private industry and how many businesses were sitting at command centers, even makeshift command centers, trying to account for all the things that were going to be necessary to restore. There were people problems. There were property problems. There were assets. There was facilities. There was real estate. In the case of law enforcement, there was evidence. There were vaults. There were safes. There were documents. There were just so much that needed to be done. So for me, it's a matter of listening. When you were working through that process, were you, I mean, were you boots in the ground, your team there? Well, I was in Washington, D.C. for that one. So I was administrative critical incident manager in terms of process, policy, and procedures. But equally as important, because what you need in those situations are resources. And you learn after you've managed a couple of these incidents that resources, accounting, and finance, and HR become your very best friends because you can't do anything without the authority and without the money to get it accomplished. So all these events, you know, it's interesting. If you really started examining the things that make emergency management and business continuity, the disciplines that they are, all these events are things that we couldn't imagine prior to them occurring. No one would imagine that we where we are right now with COVID. No one could have imagined Superstorm Sandy in New York City because New York City has always had sort of like an austere, bulletproof sort of aura about it, right? Who would imagine that the subways were closed and that bridges and tunnels were closed? I mean, not in a million years could some people have seen that. And actually, entire communities washed away in New Jersey and Long Island. Why? Because it never happened. Who could have imagined the unsurmountable death and destruction in New Orleans as a result of Katrina? Those were business issues and people issues. Again, they had never been done. Who could have imagined Oklahoma City ever occurring in the continental United States? Based on what we've seen in other countries, it was just unimaginable. So every event brings an element of shock and surprise, but there are still opportunities for us to learn, grow, benchmark with each other, determine what worked well, what didn't work well. And now you see where we are with incident management, with the National Incident Management System. Things are done a whole lot differently now than they were done in 1996. You mentioned empathy. Is there another soft skill that you would point out that you think, you know, people coming into this profession or people that want to really grow their skill set? Is there another particular soft skill that you think, you know, really needs to be focused on from a growth career perspective? Well, I don't know that it's a skill more than a principle. I think that we need to understand and practice, both in policy and practice, the elements of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that means different things to different people. But from the context of what we're talking about today, law enforcement, specifically in emergency management, used to employ people who had skills in like these five buckets. What I've learned, particularly being in private industry, is that you need everybody at the table. We need geologists. We need scientists. We need biologists. We need chemists. We need IT people. We need people that are 
not able to read under certain circumstances, but able to read under others. We need coders. We need marketers. We need everyone at the table to help us get this job done. And it can't just be done with a room of people that only have law enforcement or public safety or, or a fire or emergency management. We need analysts. We need senior business analysts. We need people that know how to do an annual plan and use Excel and access. And in many cases, a lot of us leaving government didn't have those, those exact skills. But again, learn the business, be smart enough to bring people in that have the skills that you don't have, engage DE&I principles to ensure that you have everybody at that table you need to get that job accomplished. And I tell you, my greatest successes being a leader in private industry over the past almost decade, and then even to a certain extent in public sector, is all those people that we've brought behind us, that we've given the opportunity to demonstrate their skills and lead in unique and different ways, because everybody does it very differently. Everybody brings different talents to the table, but there's nothing better than bringing a team of people from diverse backgrounds to the table to solve a complex problem. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. For those who want to reach out to you, how can they contact you? I think the easiest way is through LinkedIn or through my personal email, mwayne, W-A-Y-N-E, mwayne Horace, H-O-R-A-C-E, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Business Interrupted. I'm Shine Marling for this leader's episode. To get more insights and resources, check out the show notes or head over to castellonbc.com and follow along wherever you get your audio.